Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 25, Body Parts. But before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct. And as I say, every single week, you should find and follow us because we are awesome. Um, and we're a great time. I think we're more of a great time than some people might say that we're awesome. But, you know, maybe we're a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, overall, I think that you will enjoy uh, following along with us. And yes, as David has included in his long list of things where you can find us, we are back on X. I am trying to update everything and get all of that caught up now that we have full access once again, um, changing stuff up a little bit, which I know it sounds like it's, you know, it's it's Twitter. It's not what's what's the big deal but when apparently when you let your account basically languish forever whether that's your fault or not a lot of things just tend to like disappear links change all the other kind of stuff so i have to update all those things and um again they've made it it's different than what it was before to do it so it's just taking a little bit longer to sort through so um i'm still putting stuff out so just bear with us and we'll get all of that up to date with you but Again, we're there. Um, but yeah, we're not here necessarily to talk about all the issues with X and all the other social medias. <laughs> I want to get right to our story tonight because I actually enjoyed um, this episode for a lot of different reasons, and I can't wait to talk about it. But of course, <laughs> as always, David, how was your week? It was good. Uh, work was slow again, which is frustrating, but picked up today. Um I told you before we got on that next weekend I'll be playing a game with some friends called Twilight Imperium. It's a board game. Apparently it's like one of the most complicated board games out there. And I've been like reading the rule book and all that all week, like basically studying up how to play a board game for crying out loud. Uh, but the reason I mentioned it to you before we got on is because there's some fun pieces in the game that were like, I think that was Deep Space Nine inspired because not only is there a unit called the War Sun, which is very much inspired by the Death Star, you know, the War Sun looks like a Death Star, uh, but there's a unit called a Space Dock, which looks very much like Deep Space Nine, at least from a distance. And then there's a card you can get called the Prophet's Tear. Uh, and I was like, that's just way too on the nose. That's definitely oh, yeah. got to be Deep Space Nine uh, related or inspired. Uh, so it was fun seeing that. Um, but yeah, next week I'll be doing that with friends. So just getting prepared because there's a lot of rules to know. You know, a lot of details to have to like, if you don't know this detail, you might make a mistake and you lose everything. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And then, uh, yeah, how much else? How about you? Um, much of the same, just mainly working, um, obviously taking care of the, the kiddo and doing these workouts and actually starting to see some developmental change here and there. Unfortunately, I was hit with, um, a slight, I don't want to call it like a, a necessarily full on injury, but it's more like just, it's an annoyance. I have developed, um, uh, tendonitis in my elbow, oh, my no. right elbow. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, Yeah. You know, the classic, I think it's called tennis elbow. I think it's probably the more famous colloquial term. Um, so I had to wait a couple of days, and I just got this uh, arm brace that's supposed to help me continue to work out with um, minimizing the pain. I have not actually worked out with it yet. I just got it um, yesterday evening. So, uh, you know, I'm waiting to try that out and see because definitely trying to like just push through workouts without it, it, it has become increasingly difficult. Um, I might be able to finish the workout, but then I'm in a lot of pain afterwards. Right. So I'm trying to, you know, not just, you know, take it easy and let things kind of, you know, let the swelling go down, ease the tension and so forth. But I need to make sure the brace will work for me. Um, but yeah, other than that, just, you know, other signs that I'm getting older, 
and um, having to deal with it because this certainly would not and was not an issue 15 years ago, 20 years ago, so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, other than that, things have been pretty steady, pretty good. So I'm not really worried about um, anything else. I do have a couple of events coming up uh, here really soon. Um, here in Austin, there is a food and wine festival in uh, North Round Rock that because of my um, sister's wine affiliations, she's gotten the ability to kind of bring some people as uh, like her, her guests. Nice. You know? Okay. So, yeah, I get to go up and pretend to know something about wine. And really, I'm just going <laughs> to, you know. Yeah, um, so we... Yeah, so we were trying to figure out a way to like make this work and everything else. So they all have their very official company shirts, you know, and I'm not a part of the company, so I have no shirt. And so um, got together and, you know, again, Amazon is great and expedient. And we were able to put together a shirt for me that now just says um, the company's name and then security on it. So I'm going to be wearing this shirt. And then the, the funny thing about that is... Um, when they were talking about the idea and all of us going and everything like that, some other people were like, well, I'd rather wear his shirt than that one. So now there's like <laughs> going to be a core group of them wearing, wearing her, uh, the, the bar is called wine sensation. So they'll, they'll be wearing a wine sensation shirt. And then all of our shirts are just solid black and in white block letters, it says wine sensation security. And I was like, our job when we walk though, we have to like flank, Everybody wearing those other shirts the whole time. Just make it look like they were so important they had to hire security and just go through and just do everything. Yeah, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that, and that's tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, just uh, stuff like that coming up, and then, of course, continuing on with training. Nice. So, Very oh, good. and that reminds me, yeah, if if there are people out there who are in any, in any way interested even slightly in – the um, workouts or anything like that that I have been doing or just want to see some of it. I have been thinking of putting something together to where um, I could just start sharing some of that. I haven't really got into it because I have this weird kind of love-hate with um, recording, especially when you're doing workouts. Um, I've never been a fan of that. You know, people who post up in the gyms and they're taking pictures and posing and all that kind of stuff. I don't like that. Um, but I, the group that I've been working out with, they do encourage that, you know, we update stuff and share progress and get things out there because it's a way to help you kind of, you know, boost your confidence and also help you to maintain consistency. So I've been thinking about doing that. So if you're interested at all, just kind of keep looking at those social media things that we have for the fire caves. And then once all that is together, I'm just going to start posting a few links here and there. Uh, on on Facebook, on X, on whatever, and just you know, every so often I'll just throw the link up, and if you want to follow along and see what I'm doing, you'll be able to. So that'll probably be up in the next um, next couple of weeks because I'll probably not do it not this week because of stuff that's happening. But then after that, right. so. Okay. But we're not here to talk about all of that. We are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the 97th episode and the second to last episode of season four. And what a doozy season four has been. I went back today and we're just kind of like scanning through the episodes that make up season four. We've had a lot of changes in this season, and I can't wait for when we're done. We're going to obviously kind of do, we always do our recap, you know, we're going to go through it. I think this is probably the most dynamic season that the show has it's really like you know when you talk about those moments and shows that turn a corner this is definitely the season that does that for this show so i can't wait to get into all that not next week but it'll be the week after for that right um but tonight we are here to talk about body parts so would you like to give the recap or do you want me to do it i can do it did i do it last week whose turn is it i think you did do it last yeah week. go for it go for it all right. Um, so in this episode, we find a very, very happy Quark celebrating in the bar. He's just come back from a two-week trip on Ferenginar, and he is just, you know, in in great spirits, better than we've really ever seen him. And he, his brother is there, and you know, they're talking, and they're just kind of having this great kind of family moment when Quark drops the bombshell that um, he is dying. Um, now I forget, that's actually not how the episode starts. We actually start in ops and it's with, uh, chief O'Brien, 
um, Dax and Worf, who are uh, listening to O'Brien lament about the fact that his wife has gone on this trip with Kira and uh, Dr. Bashir, and she is several months into a pregnancy, and she's just doing all these things that's making him quite nervous, basically. He wants her to stay home, whereas she's like, I want to repel down the cliffs of Bajor, and I want to you know, do all these trips and so forth and so on. And Dax is pretty much like, get over it, you know? <laughs> So as they're talking about that, the uh, uh, the runabout comes through the wormhole and it they're signaling that someone's been injured and it's Keiko. So we don't know to the extent of the injury until we get to um, sickbay and we see Kira first and she's basically like she's beat up, but she's OK. And she tells O'Brien that, um, you know, everybody's fine, but things have changed. And basically... Keiko is no longer pregnant, but Kira is. And we later see in this story that because of the injury sustained in the accident in the runabout, Kira or Keiko had to um, they had to move the baby from Keiko to Kira. Unfortunately, because of the unique physiology of Bajorans and the way that they develop babies and, and so forth, they can't switch the baby back. Kira is going to have to carry the baby to term. This leaves the O'Brien family feeling kind of out of sorts because Keiko apparently really loves being pregnant and uh, having the baby grow and develop inside her and so forth. And they're missing out on the experience overall. And they really just want to find ways to stay connected to their baby and so forth. And they invite Kira over and it's all an adjustment for everybody else. And they ultimately decide that they want Kira to move in with them so that they can be with her and help her as this pregnancy continues and to uh, be a, a part of the experience as they can. Right. Um, it's a very interesting, and I felt like it was a very touching thing, right. you know, and then there's even a line in there towards the end when they, uh, um, when Kira does decide to move in and they show her her room and uh, Molly comes in and uh, they basically say that, yes, Kira is now Aunt Kira to Molly. Nearest. And I just wanted to stop and just say, as a brief aside, Molly has the weirdest family ever because if you remember, Worf delivered Molly when they were on the Enterprise. So he's Uncle Worf. She's got Uncle Worf and Aunt Kira, yeah. who's carrying her brother. This girl needs a... She needs Counselor Troy, like, bad. She doesn't even know it yet. She needs Counselor Troy to sort her out. She's going to have so many issues yeah. when she gets a little older. So that is... That's essentially our B-plot. Our A-plot is definitely dealing with Quark, who, again, as I said, has returned from uh, Ferenginar, where he had been diagnosed with a disease called Doric Syndrome. It's a very rare disease, but it's also fatal. So knowing that it's fatal, he realizes he's got, he, he says he has six days to get his affairs in order and to settle up, basically. And he's trying to account for all of his debts and what he's going to do and all this kind of stuff. And apparently in Ferengi culture, when you die and you are a Ferengi of note, you sell your vacuum desiccated remains on the Ferengi exchange. And it's another way of also, you know, clearing debts and setting your family up. Right. And uh, so he is kind of reluctant to do this because he feels like he's a nobody and there's no one's going to want any pieces of him. But Rom convinces him to do it anyway, to list his remains on the exchange. He does, and eventually he gets a huge offer. Uh, 500 bars of gold-pressed platinum, the actual big bars. We've only really ever seen uh, the small strips, and then the, the it's strips, slips, and bars. So we've seen slips, and we've seen strips. We've never seen bars. So 500 bars equals, what did he say? I think it was like... 10,000 uh, slips and then it was a it was a million slips so there's your ratio really quick of Ferengi currency <laughs> um, so yes so he lists it he's very excited that he's going to get this deal and then not what a day maybe after he gets he, he signs on the contract Bashir pops up and says oh I just heard from this doctor who says you don't have Doric syndrome, you're fine. <laughs> and so now it turns into 
I've got to cancel this contract because I'm not going to die. But now he's got to get in contact with the buyer to see who it is. And it turns out to be none other than our favorite Ferengi commerce enforcer, Brunt, from the FCA. And Brunt is back. And Brunt has a, a, a goal in mind. And so he tries to, Quark tries to cancel the deal, but uh, Brunt is not backing down. And it turns out that Brunt has decided that Quark is the worst kind of Ferengi. He's a Ferengi that's gone Starfleet. He has humanitarian aspects about him. He calls him the worst thing you can call a Ferengi, a philanthropist. And really insults him, calling him a philanthropist, but basically yeah. says, you've got two options. You can either give me my 52 vacuum desiccated sealed packages of cork, or you can break the contract. And as Ferengi rules of acquisition say, a contract is a contract is a contract, but only between Ferengi. So if he breaks the contract, then Quark can no longer do business with any other Ferengi. All of his possessions, money, assets, everything will be completely stripped away. His family will be rendered destitute, and it'll be the end of him in Ferengi culture. He'll be exiled, all of it. If you break a Ferengi contract with another Ferengi, you're done. Right. So he hems and haws about it a little bit. Decides at first he's going to go through with it. He hires Garrick to find ways to kill him. He objects to every way to kill him. He eventually has a weird dream, vision, whatever you want to call it, which um, helps him to decide he is ultimately going to break the contract. He does break the contract, much to Brunt's glee, delight. Brunt seizes everything that he has and renders him utterly destitute, even to the point where the shirt that he was wearing, um, Brunt owned and he had to send it to him. So um, he's, you know, he's not really sure what he's going to do. He knows that he's pretty much out of options. And that's when our intrepid crew shows up and Dax, or it's Bashir first with a bottle of a box of apparently bad tasting whiskey then Dax with some very ugly glasses. I will agree. Those were some yeah. ugly glasses. <laughs> yep. And then uh, in comes Cisco, who has, who's the real hero here, right. who has miraculously found all of this bar equipment that just needs to go somewhere. Right. And lo and behold, yeah, you got the most space. Yeah, Cork, you don't need Here this. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need all this space, do you? So we're going to store all of these Bar stools, chairs, serving tables, glasses, all, all the things you need to run a bar, we, some, for some reason, had upstairs. This is a brick here. Here you go. And gives it to him. And, of course, and not, Cork, yeah, gets to say. I was going to say, couldn't, even though he's getting all of this stuff free, he still can't resist saying, you got to pay a small storage fee <laughs> to put this stuff in here. So Quark begins to see that, you know, while he didn't think he had any real wealth or assets, he does in the form of the friends he's made by being on the station. So again, a a rather touching, a surprisingly touching moment in a weirdly comedic yet also serious storyline. It's, it's, this is a weird episode because it's like the things they dealt with were so like, bizarre but at the same time they were all ultimately heartwarming right. so it's like it's an oddly touching episode in this season of weird twists and turns so um <laughs> yeah but that's it that's essentially the episode i would highly suggest that you go and watch it i i really like a lot of things that come out of the development of this episode yeah. and we're going to talk about those here now but of yeah. course since i just did all this talking uh to give myself a break and of course because i want to know david <laughs> what did you think of this episode yeah, I like this one a lot. Um, as I've said multiple times before, one of the best things that, uh, especially the Next Generation did, was make me like the uh, Klingons. And Deep Space Nine's version is the Ferengi. How do we understand a culture that's as upside down as we can imagine it, where everything they do is money, 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 business, 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 contract, contract, contract? Um, it's silly. But that moment where Brunt comes to him and says, I'm going to ruin you if you break this contract because I think you're a philanthropist. You're a Federation guy. You you charge the uh, the Bajoran refugees cost. You didn't even upcharge them. 
but I did a little bit. That's just the same. You not barely enough. not enough. He goes, uh, I'll take away their vacations. vacations. Yeah. <gasps> you gave, gave the them vacations. vacations? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's absolutely hilarious. The uh, the absolute extreme of the idea that someone would uh, be a taskmaster, and that is what the culture expects. And if you aren't a taskmaster, then you're actually below the. It's upside down. Like you 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 can't be nice to your people. Um, the fact that he got, you know, uh, the the union got got him, and he gave into the union. All of that stuff. It's just hilarious. And then the fact that they would make every single family member suffer. For one family member failing a contract or any of that, every single one of your family members is is, made, is punished along with you. So your family is part of the way they keep you in line because none of your family mm-hmm. wants to suffer for you screwing up. So if they have to come in behind you and fill in your contract, maybe Moogie would have done something if she had known to do something, for example. But um, she's a woman, so she's not allowed to do it, for example. So yeah, it's 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 a funny episode. Quark starting off seemingly very happy and gay, and you know, let's drink a drink, and then I'm dying. <laughs> oh, it's just hilarious, you know. Uh, Quark has always been um, a character that you kind of love to hate him, uh, mm. and so uh, this is a great great moment of seeing that upside down world of the Ferengi and enjoying it for an episode. And I have to say, I like the fact that there are permanent consequences to his decisions in this episode. He is now exiled from the Ferengi culture. Uh, I don't know how, what we'll be doing to maybe try and fix that or if it's only a temporary uh, problem or if it's going to be permanent truly for the rest of the series. But I like that that is where we're at, um, especially near the end of season four. He's had runs in with Brunt several times now. This is, I think, the third time we've seen Brunt. But, um, yeah, it's it's great to see that, yeah, Quark has not only been uh, exiled mm-hmm. from Ferengi culture, but he was. it happened in a very specific way. It's almost like Brunt set it up. Like, Brunt told the doctor, he bribed the doctor to you tell know, Quark. You I've, know, I've wondered that. I've wondered that, like, yeah. if they had time. If they would expand on the story, and it turns out that Brunt knew that Quark was coming home right. for his physical and yes. had bribed the doctor to tell him this to, to set him up this way. Right. I think that would have been a great tie into the story. I just think it happened of, because he, he yeah. knows that the doctor called him to say that he's not actually going to die. Mm-hmm. He, how did he know that information? Well, he is a FCA member or whatever. An um, FCA liquidator, and you know they have a lot of power, and they obviously scare people. Right. So yeah, you know, an FCA liquidator showing up at the doctor's doorstep probably scared him, and he was probably more than willing to cooperate yes. if it meant keeping him out of the scrutiny of the liquidator's office. Yes. You know, it was funny too so, yeah. because when Quark finds out that you know uh, he's still going to live, his first reaction is, "I get to file a malpractice litigation." <laughs> And another nice throwaway here is that, you know, Rom suggests early on when he first tells him that, you know, he's got Doric syndrome, that he should go to Bashir and get a second opinion. And he was like, what does he know? He's human. He doesn't even charge. Like, he doesn't discount him as, you know, just because he's, you know, a human human doctor or whatever. But it's more because he does everything for free. Right. But it's like, why not? Like it, it yeah. would, it obviously would have cost you nothing right. to go and get the second opinion <laughs> and get a and get a checkup. Right. But he he didn't do it, and if he had done it, it would have probably solved all of his other issues. Right. But yeah, I just think that that's very interesting, and I, I did like that throwaway. He's like, "Well, he doesn't even charge. Yeah, like, exactly. why why go to him?" Yeah. Showing the clear way that Ferengi think that you know nothing is worth, uh, you know, it's not worth anything if there's no monetary attachment. Exactly. To it. Um, it's cheap for a reason, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, so and as you were saying, like this, Deep Space Nine has done a great job of overhauling um, the Ferengi to make them a bit more, I'm not going to say lovable, no, but I will say yeah. palatable. Because when we first encounter them in uh, The Next Generation, in the episode um, The Last Outpost, they were horrible. They were these weird, snarling, 
badger-like creatures, really, the way they were kind of like falling in around each other and stuff and staying close and the way they kind of yeah. like slinked around and everything like that. Um, interesting to note, Armin Shimmerman is in that episode as well. He is one of the Ferengi there, too. He's been a Ferengi pretty much his whole Trek career. Um, so it's very well, interesting um, that he's point. helped yeah. that. Yeah. And so now we're seeing him, and he's getting this great development here in this show. Something that the actor, Armin Shimmerman, has talked about a lot, that uh, he mm -hmm. really did appreciate them finally giving layers to the Ferengi, because they were um, kind of a one-note joke right. in, in Trek for a while, you know. Right. And so, yeah, with the extra development here, we see that, you know, he really loves his people, he loves his culture, but he has been influenced a bit by the alien cultures that he has dealt with over the years of being on the station and elsewhere. Right. Um, there was even a workup done that kind of compared him to um, American citizens who leave the United States and go and live abroad for a while. And then when they come back, how strange they seem to their U.S. Uh, neighbors and stuff because they've picked up all these weird traits and habits and cultural whatevers yeah. from living in Spain for 10 years and then living right. in, you know, Africa for 20 years or whatever it is, you know. Right. So um, I think that's a, a, a nice parallel. I could see that. A person who's lived somewhere for a while, you do pick up kind of the mannerisms and stylings and stuff of the area that you were in. Right. And then you move somewhere else and you do tend to bring that, right. bring that with you. But Brunt's issue is he feels like he is a disease that is spreading – uh, or is at risk of spreading uh, through the rest of Ferengi culture. And he is going to cut him out. <laughs> and uh, you know his whole family is indicative of this. His nephew has joined the Federation as a full-on Starfleet cadet. His mother was earning profit. <laughs> How dare she? And she wears, wears clothes and speaks to men in her home and all that. you know. And um, as we see with what, Bron uh, with what Brunt is saying here... Um, I wondered what was going to be the fallout for Mookie because she is yeah. back on Ferenginar. And as we know, women are not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to travel. And he says that his mother's going to be cast out. She's going to be left destitute and all this stuff. Is right. Quark really going to let that happen? I mean, he broke that contract. Right. His nephew is not really going to be affected because he's in Starfleet. Right. Rom isn't going to be affected because while he's not in Starfleet, he works on the station. Right. So his needs are going to be met. And then, of course, Quark, as we see at the end, is taken care of. So really, Moogie's the only one that we don't really have any knowledge of what's happened to her the moment that this is declared right. in effect. Yeah, she's the one who's definitely the most in jeopardy of all this. Though part of me is is a little bit... I think she'll be okay. Because that episode we did see her in, we can tell that she's got... She's more devious than she lets on. Yes. So I think she'll be okay. Yes. But yeah, it's a, it's a question that would be... She's clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What will happen to Moogie? I don't know if we'll find out, but I'd be curious. Mm. <laughs> now, we also got the chance in this episode to catch up with uh, another recurring character that we haven't really seen a whole lot of, and that would be Mr. Garrick. Uh, Garrick comes back, and he is so eager to be the assassin that takes out Quark. Yeah. So with all the dissembling that Garrick has done over the years that we've been watching him now about his official role in the Obsidian Order, whether he was actually in the Obsidian Order or not, so forth and so on, he seems remarkably adept at killing hologram quarks. <laughs> bone snapping it all. <laughs> oh, bone snapping it all. So what did you think when you when he went to court when he went to Garrick as the assassin to hire? Well, it's funny because he walks in and, and he's talking to what is it? Who's the guy he's talking to? Mook or uh, Morn? Morn. I was talking about him. Um, we had Mookie on the mind. Uh, Morn. He's talking to Morn and he's obviously absolutely like at the end of his rope with like I put more padding in these pants. Like get out. <laughs> <laughs> they've had some the whole joke of course is uh with him is that he, i guess he's always real talkative off screen every time we see him yes he, he doesn't say anything. Warren is the most talkative person ever right but never shuts up exactly but as soon as the camera gets on him he's he doesn't say a thing so 
funny moment. You know, we we know from previous episodes that he doesn't like being a tailor. It's it's something he might be good at in a technical sense, but it's not something he likes doing or wants to do. And so when Court comes to him and says, "I want to hire you as an assassin," his you know uh, Nog is like um, Nog, right? Yeah, is uh, all like, "Oh man, you can't." hire him to kill the 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 um, brunt that's wrong you know, that's immoral he's like no i want him to kill me like I, I i'm a ferengi i'm gonna commit i'm doing what i'm supposed to do i'm gonna die but i'm not gonna do it myself i want someone else to do it uh so it's great because garrick puts his arm around his shoulders and walks him away he's got a little he's got a big old smile on his face <laughs> Like he actually mm-hmm. is happy to have business again as an assassin. Uh, he knows how to kill people for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the way his the way his face lights up. Yes, it's just like that. Should have, <laughs> you know what? I made a mistake. I'm good. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna go. Yeah, I already made one mistake signing a contract I didn't intend to follow through on. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. do that again. Uh, but yeah, and then we're in the hollow suite, and we don't realize it at first, but you know, Garrick walks up to this. Hollow sweet version of of Quark and Quark's munching on some like fruit or something, real happy. Yeah, and then yeah, snap, and he falls down, and we see Quark show up that is behind his own dead body. He's like, "What? I don't want to hear my own neck snap before that was I die." Awful! All that bone snapping. <laughs> I don't want to. He's like, wait a minute. Okay, so the bone stabbing is too loud. The knife was too violent. He's just, you don't want to yeah. be vaporized because you need a body. Yeah. And the poison, it smelled bad. Yeah, the, the gas <laughs> smelled bad. The poison tasted bad. All of the, uh, yeah, and Cork is just ruling out one thing after the other. Uh, and then he basically says, I want to be surprised. I don't want to know how I'm going to die. And that makes... I don't want to see it coming. And that makes Garrick even happier. He's like, okay, I can't wait now. You, you'll never see it coming. <laughs> so Quark goes home and he's... You know, every shadow yeah. he can't... Yeah, Intr- introduces a lot of paranoia because now he's <laughs> ducking and dodging around corners and scoping everything out and... Running into rooms and you yeah. know falling to the ground and everything else, and then of course it sets us up for the vision that he has, the dream, which I did which not he... like. I thought that was the weirdest moment in the whole episode. Um, not because it couldn't have yeah. worked. I just thought the whole time that he was actually in the hollow suite that Garrick and Rom, Rom had dressed. I thought Rom had dressed himself up as a Nagus because even Quark says, "You look like my brother," and he's the. Uh, well, he the, says, "Well, yeah, this is a, it's because this is a dream." Yeah, he that's says what he that, says. but like no one in the dream. That's the thing about dreams. No one in a dream ever says this is a dream. Like that would make much more sense if the whole sequence had been in a, the hollow suite. They had kidnapped. Well. Him. Put him in the hollow suite, yeah, and yeah, I mean, this is also you got to remember, you know, they do it. They got to give the winks and nods where they can, and fill people in on what's going on. They can't just rely on you being able to pick up the context clues. Well, this is a moment a dream where, right now. yeah, because he was just trust in the, me, he was just in Star the hollow suite, so I thought that was where yeah. he was still. But well, trust me, Star Trek does this a lot, and they get it wrong nearly every time. Um, Special shout out to Star Trek Voyager and any time Chakotay goes on a vision quest. Quite possibly the worst sequence of filming you will ever see. Uh, just it's awful. When you, I hear those lines, and when I hear him say, "I need to go on a vision quest," I die inside every time because I know we're getting ready to watch some colossal BS. So yeah, just yeah, gotcha. well, you might get there, and when you see it, you'll be like, "Oh." I see what he means. So yeah, they don't they don't do visions, dreamscapes, altered reality like that. They don't do those very well. Right. So yeah. But if you once you get over that part, I actually enjoyed the dream sequence because it was it's very telling, like of Quark's subconscious, right? And how he actually views the. Ferengi rules of acquisition. Because, right. you know, we hear him talking about him all the time and how he's modeled his whole life around him and everything else. And yet, his subconscious tells him there's not so much rules as they are guidelines. Yes. Which I is like one of the, my line. favorite recurring yeah. things. Yeah. They're guidelines. You know, we hear that. We've not heard that a lot. Where uh, I can think in particular, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. That's uh, what they thinking. said that they're, they, yeah. these, they're more like guidelines. So it's, it's a great. <laughs> Takeaway for for rules and stuff, and yeah. he even says, "Would you buy a book called The Guidelines of Acquisition?" No, 
And remember, rule of acquisition number 235, never be afraid to mislabel a product. Uh, I cracked up I when he said that. I was like, that is fantastic. I know. It's That's so absolutely good. fantastic. Yeah, and then Cork is like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> my whole culture is based on just a marketing ploy? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it just shows how deeply ingrained this stuff is in him, but also right. how – you know he how he he's aware of that now. However, subconsciously he's aware of that, and he's able to maneuver as he needs to to make things work. Right. So and that's what we see here in the episode too. So again, I loved all of the beats of this. I thought this was was very well done, right? Um, very well thought out to make Quark, while giving us comedic elements, it also gave, gave us a deeper appreciation of Quark and of Rom because right. his undying support of his brother, you know. Right. And we get to see Jeffrey Combs again as um I was almost going to say Wayun, but uh, he's Brunt. He is also Wayun. Right. But he is Brunt. He has here. such a very particular way of talking, especially around those teeth he has to put in. You, I was going to say, yeah. did you notice the teeth? His yeah. teeth um are particularly sharp, yeah. which I think that it has to be an aesthetic choice to go with the character for being so ruthless and menacing. Right. And his smile just looks so daggerishly I dangerous. I know. He always, every time you he know? does a, a smile of any sword, it looks real unpleasant. <laughs> like he's got shark teeth in there, you know, and he's just waiting yeah. for the chance to get you. It's yeah. like, man, yeah, I feel like that's why you talk like that because while the teeth work with your aesthetic – got to be killer on your lips and tongue trying to <laughs> deliver lines yeah in that's there, what i was thinking you know um but i real quickly want to go back and say that one thing i really liked about the dream sequence even though i thought it was a hollow sweet sequence was max groden chick as he's really rom but he actually played git really the well the first negus yeah he he changed his voice up enough that i knew it was him you could tell it was him in the under the makeup and even Rom or even uh, Quark caught caught on, but he still did enough different to make him seem like a different character. Um, mm. And when he first popped out, I did think he was the Grand Nagus. Um, Grand Nagus, what? Uh, who's the current? Zek. Zek. Um, Played by Wallace Shawn. I thought but it was him in this for episode. a brief second, but nope, he wasn't in it. Um, but yeah, I I, I it's not like the whole se- sequence was wrong. It's just I was. I thought it was a hollow sweet segment, and so I was thrown mm-hmm. off the whole time, especially when they kept trying to insist it was a dream. I thought they were trying. I thought, I thought Garrick had kidnapped Quark into the hollow suite and basically said, "I don't want to kill you. I'm going to be found out by Odo, and you know that won't ever work out anyway." So here, here's a little thing that Rom, you know, got here for you. So you know, you're not going to be. I'm not going to kill you, um, but that's not how it went. So never mind. <laughs> Well, now I do want to take some time to turn our attention to the other story in our other family, which has now grown um, on the station, and that is, of course, the O'Briens. I have to say, I really do enjoy this storyline for them. Uh, Main reason is we get to catch up with Keiko again. Keiko, I feel like, is a very underrated character we saw her early on in season one and parts of season two you know but she's been kind of absent you know and you know rosalind chow uh, the actress who plays keiko she was you know pretty prolific during the 90s she was doing a lot of different um tv shows and movies and voice acting and, and so forth so i know that had a lot to do with her not being a mainstay here but also there was this weird kind of negative backlash that um Keiko was getting, and a lot of people were not enjoying her character, so they also kind of kept her out of things um, for that as well. Which is just strange, because I think she's great. I mean, like, I can see kind of some arguments about it. She kind of comes off at first as the kind of nagging uh, Miles about a couple of things, but if you think right. about it, I mean, she's just asking to be, you know, useful and to be part of the community and part of the world and to be right. able to do things. Nothing wrong with wanting to have a, a career and everything like that. And I think once we get right. past some of those moments, her character really does, you know, um, blossom. And so I love right. seeing her here again and um, watching her interaction with everybody. Uh, right. uh, Miles, Kira, Molly, all of it. Really enjoyed all of that, so... Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I've I've always found her character worthwhile. I 
I sometimes get a little annoyed with the relationship in the sense that, like, sometimes she's nagging, but it's also Brian is being stubborn. And it's like, yeah, he kind of deserves to be nagged because he's being really stubborn about something. Um, So, yeah, if if any of the two of them need any critiquing, it's O'Brien in those moments, in my opinion. But yeah, (laughs) he, he tends to dig his heels in a little too early on some things. And then it's just like when he eventually does come around, cause he does, right. it's just like, man, if you had just done that from the beginning, like we wouldn't have to go through 38 minutes yeah. of you bickering. Well, and Dax really lets know, him have it to be in this episode. When he's... She really does. I loved it. She was like, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> the extra weight gain, the nausea, the, all the, the all the discomfort. Yeah. 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 There's no I way she you had to remind this. her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It, it was great. I was like, yeah, Dax, like tell him yeah. all the physical symptoms. Right. Yeah. All Keiko is trying to say is like, I wish I could do these things or when I'm not pregnant, I want to go do these things. Or even if I am pregnant, it'd be great if I still could do those things. Relax, O'Brien. Relax. <laughs> now it's again. It's I, this is one of those things I like to note as a just a point here. This was the '90s, and this was kind of a very common thing that you saw on all sorts of TV shows during that time period. Whenever the lady was pregnant, the guy was supposed to be this overprotective kind of belligerent rage monster who wanted to sit down and stop working and prop your feet up and I'll do all this stuff and you just, you know, you know, just kind of be an extra fixture in the house while I, you know, take care of everything, right. you know, and she was always, no, I, I have a career, I have a life, I have this, I have this. and that was always going to be their argument. The guy wants her to stop working, she wants to continue to work, and in some cases, work herself to extremes to prove that the pregnancy doesn't stop her, doesn't slow her down, and then you would have one of two things happening. Either she would work herself too hard and end up in the hospital and then have to be put on bed rest. So now the guy gets what he wants anyway. Or the guy would eventually realize that, hey, it's okay for pregnant women to do whatever, mainly because he would see some other pregnant woman doing something else even more risky or whatever. And then that would help him walk himself down from that crazy cliff he had perched himself on. And that was kind of the the '90s trope there, um, um, but yeah. So this was the Star Trek equivalent of that. They just didn't go quite to the extreme. And then of course they get the very clever out with Kara uh, becoming pregnant. Right. Yeah. And according to Wikipedia, here they were trying to figure out how do they we, we they wrote in Keiko being pregnant, but then Kira Nerys, you know, her actor is. Uh, the non visitor actually became pregnant right. with Doctor Bashir's baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. some, yeah, some, yeah, exactly. Some, uh, rowdy goings on right. behind the scenes. Exactly, and so they um, were trying to come up with a solution. And I guess it's the writer. Uh, let's see, Ira Bayer. Bayer uh, was he one of the writers? Ira that- Stephen. Ira Stephen Bear, his wife, came up with the idea. Right. Because, again, the common trope back then was whenever a woman was pregnant on a show, if it wasn't a part of the storyline, they had to come up with clever ways to hide that she was pregnant. You know, right. no filming from, you know, mid-level down and, you know, uh, other little, you know, something would happen so that she could be a way to give birth and all that stuff. So they didn't want to do that. And of course we had seen them do this in next generation when, uh, Beverly Crusher, uh, the actress who plays Beverly Crusher, Gates McFadden had been pregnant and all through the fourth season as well. When she was pregnant, she's never filmed from the waist down. She never does any like major action thing. She's always behind a bench or a desk or whatever. You never really see her. And then in Voyager, uh, also in season four, season four, <laughs> something must have been going on season, in season four of these shows. Um, Chief Engineer Belana Torres, played by Roxanne Dawson, was also pregnant, and they did that to her. I think they gave her an overcoat to wear at one point, and then, yeah, we never see her fully from the waist down anymore. And they didn't want to do that with Kira, so they figured out this trekified reason right. to... Uh, make her pregnant yeah dr bashir somehow on a runabout not on the station on a damaged runabout (laughs) without 
medical support was able to transplant the human baby into the Bajor and Kira and stimulate all the necessary hormones and um, umbilical attachments and whatever else to all by himself. Connect all by himself. Damn, that because... planet last week that he couldn't solve the cure for. What the hell was he doing? He was on he was not on full blast apparently. <laughs> and Cork won't go to this guy for a simple checkup. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it definitely like makes you go, "Huh? Like how does this make sense?" But <laughs> Yeah, science yes. future technology. So now the blah. Oh yeah. So well the, the explanation the explanation that they give is that whereas with humans the gestation is nine months, with Bajorans it's essentially five months. Right. Have I heard that right? So yes, but I'm, I'm curious uh, is, that, is, is that five months with the twenty six hour day? So it's more like six months human time if you consider the longer day cycle. It's so it's three months Maybe. shorter, not four months shorter. But yeah, keep going. You had something else to say. Well, because Bashir says that there is a lot of uh, vascular attachments that happen between mother and baby. So to me, what that image, uh, I don't want to creep anybody out, but basically we know that, you know, we have the one umbilical cord right. that attaches all the various whatevers to the baby from mother to baby. Right. What I envisioned when he was talking about this was that there was probably more of those. Two yes, multiple cords just all bumping. Five, ten, fifteen, whatever, and that they are they are these. And it you know, turns out fifty percent of their babies strangle on the way yeah, out because they got basically, so many umbilical cords. Yeah, they're basically you know like the the Borg equivalent is the Bajorans, right? So they've got all these attachments lying in the back. You know, think think the Matrix, yeah, but inside the go. womb. You there know. You go. Yeah, uh, so that's what I was picturing in my head when he said that. And so then he says, you know, we can't just sever all of those. It will cause massive it. bleeding yeah. for the mother. Um, in this case, it would, it would kill her if yeah. they did that. Very, so that's why once it's reason, done. right? Yes, very convenient reason for why she has to carry the baby to term. Right. So um, I, was, I, I was fine with that. Right. Now, it's interesting to note that this is not something that you can actually do yet. Um, I did some reading on this, and it turns out that they are investigating currently the science behind uh, fetus transplants, so that in the event that, for whatever reason, one womb can't do it, they can move them to another. We do actually have artificial wombs now. You can, uh, once a you know, once the egg and sperm do the fertilization Placenta. dance, you know, yeah. yes, all that happens. You can actually fully well, grow a baby in an artificial womb. But actually transplanting has not been done yet. But the science says that we're within 15 to 20 years, possibly, of doing that. So if you're interested, it was fascinating to read. It was kind of disturbing to read, to be honest. Yeah. Um, to me, yeah. anyway. It was disturbing to read. Right. Some people might just find it fascinating. There were, there were definitely aspects of it that I was like, huh, that's really cool but then the more i thought about it i guess i'm like permanently poisoned by all things sci-fi that i've consumed over my life because all i was thinking was like yeah. pod people and <laughs> you know impossible children yeah as the term right. goes for all those things you know we yeah. got the impossible kids running around who are all birthed um ex extra utero i guess would be the ex term utero yeah ex yeah yeah, it so. makes. I mean, I just think of the of like movies like The Island, which was the Michael Bay movie, where like you know they they're they're growing clones oh, in that. Yeah, one. they were growing clones. But they like, were clones of famous people right. to be their organs. Yeah, they just needed to harvest the organs. And I'm just like, man, like I'm not saying that obviously if artificial wombs are where. I mean, I mean, put it this way: the technology for the movie The Island would start with something like an artificial womb. And so part of me is like, yep, that, that sounds dangerous. If we go down the wrong path, <laughs> like, uh. yeah. but I mean, there is yeah. the very real life thing of people using surrogates, uh, to, um, to, uh, yeah. have their babies. I, yeah. I have to say on a, on a moral level, I feel like that seems wrong. I, I don't, I don't what think, seems wrong. Well, the idea that, a, a you know, a woman selling her womb space seems just wrong on a, like on a moral level, like. Like like the a baby 
is not something that you just like like you the idea that you would have a child you know you you have the pregnancy for nine months and then you're done with it like you i have to imagine there's some sort of bond there that would it seems like it's just so commercialized um i don't know it just it just feels a little awkward i mean i understand there are certainly people who like require that for like like if the woman herself is unable to get pregnant and so they use a surrogate in order to yeah have i mean I, that's what Right. That's why I guess that's why it doesn't bother me. My standpoint is, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it because well, I understand I that I'm, there are couples out there who can't have. Well, for me, I'm themselves. just thinking of people who use it as like a. I don't want the stretch marks, so I'm rich and famous, and so I'm just oh, going to pay that. some yeah. some poor yeah, woman that. to you know she's been pregnant ten times already, so she's used well, to it. I don't know if that's how well, it personally, happens. Yeah. I'm, be personally, I'm against those. Yeah. I think you're talking about a more extreme case, the more vain individual who says they want a child but doesn't want to go through the physiological changes of childbirth right. because they're too pretty for childbirth. I'm against those people having children, period. So I, I, don't, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't really care. I'm 100% but, behind but the other part, people, yeah. yeah. So, But the other people who are like, who would be loving, dedicated parents, but right. for uh, some particular physiological reason, she can't carry a child. Right. She can produce an egg, but she can't carry the child. I have nothing against them using a surrogate to have their child because, I mean, they're, they want the kid. If they could, they would do it the natural way. Right. This is something that would um, – it, it's just going to be a benefit. Those other vain individuals who are just basically using people as commodities, I have no sympathy. I don't want them to be around people at all. Right. You, you know, so, right. yeah, no, I don't want them – I don't want them to have children. And, I mean, I don't know – if that's a good thought or a bad thought or whatever, but I mean, because those people to me don't sound like people who would be good parents either. You're not interested in being a parent. Right. You want a child because you think it's cool or trendy or something like that. You're not thinking long term. Right. So yeah, you shouldn't have a kid anyway. Right. But uh, to the other groups who have tried and tried and tried and just can't, and now they find out that it's because of some kind of in balance and this is the only other alternative right. to give them the family that they've been trying for 100 percent, right. go do it yeah do it absolutely and i'll absolutely. i'm gonna get slightly controversial here so if anyone gets, <laughs> needs to hear that beforehand i'm gonna say it but it's just i've also heard stories of women who have been surrogates and for whatever reason there was um some sort of medical issue the story i know of is a woman who was being a surrogate found out she had cancer and so she had to get cancer treatments but now she's pregnant with a child that's not technically her own genetic material and does that mean that she needs to kill the baby through an abortion in order to have the chemotherapy does she put up with the chemotherapy and hope the baby survives which is unlikely um, or if there's a medical defect in the baby do the genetic parents have the right to say abort the child if the mother or the woman who's who is being the surrogate says well i'll keep the child like who who has rights there it's just it, it just that's my point about the whole surrogacy thing it is like there's a lot of moral yeah. implications that sometimes arise that people don't really think about and that's where the law comes in don't get me wrong i'm not saying the law doesn't have a place i'm saying that those issues well, get very murky and uh if we're if we're just you know laissez-faire casual about those questions then we're well, gonna i'm i would I would sincerely hope that anybody doing these things and undertaking surrogacy, they're not doing it in any kind of casual manner. Right. Um, and that there's also contracts and yes. paperwork that clearly defines that determines all those who questions has, beforehand. Right, yeah. and, and that all that is done long before any kind of implantation happens because I'm sure that emotions run the full spectrum as the baby develops and you i would hate for a person who was like oh i have absolutely no problem with being a surrogate and then you're days away from delivery and you've suddenly changed your mind and you want to keep the baby but that's that woman's and that man's egg and sperm in you you know that's their genetic that's their genetic contribution there. That's their their baby. Right. So how do you tell them they don't have a right to it? Because it wouldn't exist without them. You just carried it. Right. You know? So yeah, things like that. You're right. Those are some some murky waters of, of moral quandaries there. But um, right. again, that's why you shouldn't enter into anything until uh, you've read through it and you've considered it and you're fully aware that 
the document you sign gives these people these rights and here are your rights and go with it. And as we found out also in this episode, a contract is a contract. So <laughs> I didn't think we'd come around full circle on this, but we just we, did. <laughs> we absolutely did. We made it. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Circled around. Boom. So yeah. Hey, I think this is the first time that we've made sure that both the A and B plots uh, relate to each other. Yeah, because so. they actually didn't in any way in this episode. They really didn't, but we got you there. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. You are welcome. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I asked, the one thing I thought was <laughs> kind of fun about this episode is uh, Kira being pregnant. Like, I don't know if that means her character is going to change in some way. Like, she's going to feel like, oh, where's the where's the first minister? We, I, I want to have kids. <laughs> you know, like, is she going to have maternal instincts pop up now? Or is, is that going to be a character development uh-huh. for her? Or is this going to be a brief well, you're just and then it's have done to wait next season and we come see. back and – yeah. <laughs> You're just going to have to wait and see. Stop trying to jump the gun, David. We haven't even yeah. got to season five yet, all right? What, Jeez. I can't I can't look ahead? Come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you could, but why spoil it for yourself? Yeah. So. Yeah. Cisco once again makes a small appearance in this episode. Uh, first, when telling um, O'Brien about his issues with uh, with the baby. and Which or He's hilarious. helping... Yes, there that that was a great scene with those yes. uh, three: yes. Bashir, O'Brien, and uh, Cisco. And he's just like, "Yeah, so we had to do this thing, and the baby couldn't stay in her womb, so I had to put it in another womb, and the only other options were me and Kira." And, and Bashir and uh, Cisco's like, "I think you made the right choice, Doc." <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, and then he's trying to basically make sure that O'Brien is okay. Hey, yeah, like, yeah, he's like, don't, don't get. Hey, your baby's healthy, man. Yeah, keep it up. Yeah, keep, stay positive. Yeah. Your baby's here. Yeah. Like, don't. He was trying. I, so I love when they hard. do the yeah. yeah. Whenever they do these family tie-ins and children <laughs> and stuff, Cisco is just he's so positive. You know, he's just so into it. You know, right. it's great. Like he's not all weird and standoffish, like you know Picard always was around children and stuff. He's such a warm family man. He's like, man, you're gonna have a baby, Chief. Just focus on that. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Latch on there. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. It was a funny moment because Cisco is like working hard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great. He's, he's, yeah, he's really carrying them in, in that one to just, like, keep the the tension. Because you can yes. see, like, well, it O'Brien almost seemed insist- like O'Brien wanted to attack Bashir. Yeah, because they've had a history of multiple, like, times when Bashir stepped on O'Brien's toes. Even in the last yeah. episode when we were having the, the planet, uh, the plague planet, uh, you know, Bashir, being a doctor, was using technical jargon, and Dax was like, let me sp- communicate that in easier terms you know saying yeah Bashir is talking on a level up here but I know you're down here so yeah Bashir is very much he sometimes needs a translator and Cisco in this case was not the technical jargon translator but the emotional situation translator (laughs) (laughs) and he he just looks so nervous trying to explain to the chief what happened he's like and I just uh Sorry, bro. Like it, it happened. Uh, didn't mean for it to. I still, know. I swear. I know it would be creepy and weird and uh, just uncomfortable as all get out. But part of me is super curious. How in the hell did he make this happen? How did he do it? <laughs> but I don't need to know the details. That's why no. I, I'll just pass. <laughs> I'm going know. to assume. I'm going to assume that it was. It's not as graphic as you think. Um, I'm assuming there would have been a lot of my my thought a is, lot of hypo sprays to get her to get Kira's body ready, and then some nice well, that conversation transporter. Must have been interesting. Kate, yeah, Kate goes unconscious. All right, I'm gonna have to put the yeah. baby inside of you. I need you to sit still for a minute. <laughs> I don't know to use a trans. The trans, he probably uh, he probably laid him he probably laid him down side by side so he could get the coordinates right and did a sight to sight transport exactly from what I one happened. to the yeah. other. But he would have had to like stimulate Kira to actually have her womb expand uh, exactly. to accommodate the baby at its current <laughs> development stage and make the connections and yeah. And th- could you imagine like they're both unconscious and then they wake up and. The one who was pregnant isn't, and the one who wasn't is, and she's, and I mean, 
the total physiological change, because she would also have had to put on weight to be able to carry the baby. So to, to imagine that, that you went to sleep, and when you woke up, you were, say, 25 pounds heavier. Let's just just, just say. Or that, or even that, it wasn't that you went to sleep, you were working, right. and then all of a sudden something happened and you lost consciousness, and when you woke yeah. up, you were 25 pounds heavier. Just like, what the what the hell? <laughs> That's exactly the question that needs to be answered, but probably won't be. <laughs> it's the worst day ever. I'm quitting Mattress Firm immediately. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, man. And then, of course, we have little little sweet Molly with Aunt Kira, Uncle yeah. Worf, I thought brother was, in Kira. I thought she was going to become the godmother. I thought that was where they were going to go. Like, you're you're the godmother now. But, I mean, aunt's fine, but godmother is where I would have gone with it. But. Yeah, well, I mean, she is carrying the baby. So, I mean, I feel like godmother's a little too distant for that, you know. Um, but I would love to see that episode where Molly is maybe... 18 and it's going to go to go to um Starfleet Academy and so she brings in her recommendation letters and so she's got one from obviously her father Chief Miles O'Brien the most important man in Starfleet history um if you were to believe the lower decks episode about him anyway <laughs> um you've got that you've got Worf living legend Worf from the Enterprise and everything else, who's obviously going to give her one. And then you have Kira, who is just like, like, how did you get these? Uh, well, he's my dad, that's my aunt, and that's my uncle. <laughs> what? No way. Mm? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I'm sure they're used to unusual people walking through the door, but that would be one hell of a, a combination. Yeah. Hey, that'd be a great show. Like, truly call it the next generation, and it's everybody's kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. All the all the kids yeah. are on a ship commanded by Captain Wesley Crusher, because he'd be the oldest. I thought he wasn't in Starfleet anymore. <laughs> he could come back. It's Star Trek. There's nothing to say that he can't. And he's just put together a ragtag team of everybody's terrible children. <laughs> just, to, just to see what they can do. Right. Be like, are you anything like your mother, father, cousin, uncle, whoever that was that recommended you? Oh, no. You're just a bitter disappointment? Okay. Great. <laughs> just move on. Because uh, now, yeah, because in Star Trek, we've now had several people who've had children who, if you follow the timeline, they'd all be in their, at least in their early adulthood, you know, 20s and, and 30s and stuff, where in Wesley's case, he's 40-something now, 45, 46. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go, uh, Paramount. There's your next show. Get all the kids together and put them on a ship. Boom. Done. <laughs> You're doing everything else. So do that. Well, final thoughts on this um, nice, friendly, comedic, family-ish episode? Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. It was, uh, again, Frankie culture is fun to explore when you get a deep dive. We had a lot of those extra characters. We had Keiko, uh, Rom, Garrick, and... Um, Brunt as recurring characters, some of those more recurring than others, but a number of recurring characters in this episode. Again, I, I thought Grand Nagus was going to be back. We didn't have Nog. We didn't have Jake, no I Jake. guess. But, um, the no num- Jake, no Nog. The number of recurring characters in this episode is actually pretty high. So It is. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the few that has so many who also have um, major contributing parts to the story. They're not just there. Right. They they do things so right. yeah yeah. Um, yeah I mean like I said before when we started this I really enjoy this episode um, it's one of those that uh, you, you I feel like you get a little bit more out of it every time that you watch it there's just something else to appreciate about it each time that you watch it I certainly did in watching it this time in prep for um, our show tonight right. um, so now as always I'd like to close everything out with a little brief update of all things Trek um, everything is off the air except for Strange New Worlds. Um, Discovery is slated to come back soon. I think it's October 
Um, but I will double check that and tell you in the next episode of its official release date. But that'll be the final season of Discovery, of course. Um, there is nothing else. There, they said they have started production on the Section 31 movie with Michelle Yeoh, but there has been no further announcements or updates about that. So um, basically, they're in such an early stage. We're probably not going to see that movie until 2026 at best but it's probably going to be even longer than that now that i think about it because we still have the writer strike that's going on and uh, so all that stuff is shut down so and we're into what month five month six of them yeah they're not doing things so yeah lots of delays on a lot of projects so um We'll see what happens, but in the meantime, we'll try to keep bringing you interesting things through our show and beyond. As I said, we will have the um, final episode of uh, Season 5 next week, and then, of course, we will do our recap in one of our favorite you know, segments, which is, of course, The Fire Caves After Dark. So um, be sure to tune in for that, and we will be talking about The Expanse as well and starting... Um, projections on starting book five because we said we were going to do that or i was going to start it when we also started season five right. so we'll do a recap of that too since we're going to be doing recaps <laughs> and just uh, go through it um but until then you can find us and follow us anywhere that you happen to do your social medias of course and you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts i happen to do it on spotify so until next week guys take care of yourselves thanks guys